So we're, we're um, looking at a few psalms, and people who are speaking on the psalms have chosen the psalm that they're speaking on. Um, there's, there's no other um, link um, in this um, little short series of psalms. And, and I read Psalm 143 in my daily reading a few weeks ago, and it just seemed so um, relevant to so many um, in um, the church at the moment, and... Um, it, it was certainly relevant for me, and um, I found it very helpful, and I made a note of it and thought I might speak on this psalm um, this morning, Psalm 143. I'm going to sort of speak out of it, if you see what I mean. I'm not going through it like I sometimes do. I'm going to speak out of it. So um, Psalm 143 um, is the last of seven psalms that have been used right through um, so many years as um, using God, for, for using God's word to repent, to say sorry, to turn around. Um, and so there are seven of them, and this is the last, because it's very near the end of the book of Psalms anyway. So it is what we call a lament. And... It's very clearly divided into um, two parts, really. Um, The first six verses are a sort of complaint that the psalmist is making to God about um, his circumstances. And then follows a sort of prayer um, which is founded on the complaint. And I've... I've called it holding firm through the tough stuff. Holding firm through the tough stuff. I'm going to read it um, now, and then I'm going to um, try to bring out um, uh, for us the psalmist under attack. That's what he's complaining about. And then um, the second thing I've called the psalmist in God's world. And the final one is a link with 1 John, which Mark um, has read, and then a a conclusion. So let's read Psalm 143. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness, like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me. Or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. 
for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies, destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. So the psalmist under attack. I'd like to take us into the heart and mind of the psalmist. And it doesn't really begin in the first two verses. It begins in verse 3. It begins with this attack that the psalmist is under and that he complains of. It's a physical attack, quite obviously from the way that he describes it in verse 3. And Typically in the ancient world, and this comes from a human enemy, you know, there was so much um, tribal stuff going on, and um, we're looking at a very ancient book, so um, that's not surprising. But then in verse 4, the psalmist leads on from this to complain of his lowness in heart and mind. His inner condition. It's obviously depression that he's in. He says, my spirit is overwhelmed in me. My heart within me is desolate. What a word that is, desolate. You know, nothing there, completely barren. These are deep tones of sadness and of anguish. And the psalmist uses the image of darkness to express this. It makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. That is a terrible darkness. That's not just the darkness um, of a night. It's the darkness of a, a, an ongoing night, the darkness of death. So the psalmist is in a very low place. And he's in a very low place internally as a result of things that are going on externally. Now, I think that a lot of us are here. And, um, you know, I I know lots of our circumstances. And um, so I I know that that a lot of us are here. And and those of us who are not here have been here. Um, I'm sure that there's nobody who completely escapes this sort of thing. For some people in the world, um, they're here because of outward warfare conflict on a much larger scale than is being talked about here. Because we're in um, the 21st century where when there's battles, it's pretty jolly scary. You know, it's big stuff that's being hurled around. 
and we are reading about it in our papers at the moment. But, but for us personally here in, in West Berkshire, in Thatcham, um, it's, it's likely that our um, bad physical experiences come perhaps from ill health, and there's people in this room who know about that, and rather than human enemies, or from things going seriously wrong in our lives, perhaps from family problems, perhaps from challenges at work, perhaps from illness, perhaps from bereavement, from breakdown in relationships, maybe not just inside the family, but outside the family that we're close to, maybe financial issues. These are all the sorts of external circumstances that so many of us confront in different ways. And sometimes several of these things come together and seem to crowd in on us. And then what happens is these things affect our mental health. We can fail to get to sleep. We can wake up in the night unable to go back to sleep. We feel really mentally disturbed. We might even feel physically sick and it might affect our physical health. We can become depressed. We can become unable to concentrate on the thing that we should be doing right now. We can come to feel very alone, even in a crowd. Our minds can get to be filled with anxiety and fear. That's where the psalmist is. But the psalmist knows something about God's world. Of course, he knows that this is God's world, but it is a fallen world. But he knows something about the world that God really does inhabit and, 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 and his closeness um, to us. And his first um, thoughts about this are to feel that he's coming under God's judgment. That his outer circumstances are a punishment for what he's done wrong. In fact, in the psalm, no particular sin, no wrongdoing is, is, is specifically mentioned. So he may be imagining this. And, and it may well be that his sort of experience of relationship with God and his knowledge of God leads him to feel this. There's no um, reason why he has to feel this or, or that it's true, but he definitely is feeling this. But within that feeling, he knows that the answer to his problems lies in the Lord. He knows that if he has sinned, the Lord 
can and will deal mercifully and graciously with him in this. So um, the psalm shows this guy really opening up his vulnerability. You know, he's, he's, he's showing us all how he feels. Like often we hide from each other. He's letting it all out there. He's showing his vulnerability as a human being living in a fallen world. But he's also giving us this wonderful insight into the possibility of really experiencing being part of God's world at the same time. And that's what we want to hear about. And I'm going to say that despite the heading probably in most of our Bibles... Um, attributing this psalm to David, I think it's very likely that it's not one of David's psalms at all. I think that's true of quite a few that are attributed um, to David at the top. But rather, it's written after the exile of the um, children of Israel to Babylon. So that's a much, much later time than the time of David. And I, I'm saying this, and not to try to be clever, but because I think that it just shows us the depth and the reality of faith amongst God's people at this stage in their history. It gives us an insight into their understanding of God and their knowledge and love of Scripture and the way it fills their minds and is readily applied to daily life. So here are a few things that um, I want to point out about the psalmist as he sort of is part of God's world and entering into God's world. And that's where we want to be, even while our feet are planted on this earth in its fallen state. So first of all, the psalmist knows God by name. And that is how he addresses him at the start. Yahweh, Lord. This is the one true God, the Lord. In contrast to the many gods who are the construct of human minds. This God revealed himself by name, Yahweh, to Moses. And the way that the psalmist comes to the Lord with his complaint, pleading with him to listen, shows a close living relationship with him. And indeed, at the end, he closes with the words, I am your servant. Secondly, this psalmist is saturated in God's word. And this is one of the reasons why many think this isn't a psalm of David. Um, Because if you know your scriptures well enough, you will recognize that there are echoes of and references to many many scriptures through this psalm it calls on phrases from other psalms the psalms of david many 
it calls on the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It calls on Job. And it calls on the prophets who wrote after David. This psalm represents a lifetime of feeding on God's word. It's not about the psalmist opening his Bible and putting his finger on a verse and saying, oh, that's a great verse today, that really helps. It's about this guy on probably a daily basis, listening to, reading, meditating on God's word. And here it all comes together in this complaint and in this prayer. Thirdly, he prays, and the complaint is, is, is a prayer. Um, so he prays, but his prayer, when you read the psalm, it is like a conversation. It's like conversational language with God. He's sort of wrestling with God. He's confident in coming into God's presence. He knows that the Lord God is just. That he's merciful doesn't treat us in the way that we deserve he's gracious he gives us what we don't deserve and finally and so important in both the complaint in the first part of the psalm and in the prayer in the second part of the psalm the psalmist appeals To the faithfulness and righteousness of the Lord. I love the way that he says in verse 2, no one living is righteous before you. No point in trying to win the Lord's favour then. No point in making excuses. Might just as well admit the truth and openly confess unashamedly. Everybody's in a mess. I'm just one of everybody. So, you know, I can be accusing myself of being punished for my sin, but, you know, I deserve that anyway. (laughs) Whether or not it's directly true or not, no matter. Nobody's righteous before God. So, you know, what's the point in saying, actually, Lord, I don't think I've done anything wrong. What's going on? Which is how we can be inclined to think and want others to think when they're talking about things that they've done wrong. Well, you know, that's okay. God doesn't mind, sort of thing. Oh, don't be upset about that, you know. It's okay. Not okay. And the psalmist knows it. No one is righteous in your sight, Lord. I know that. Put my hand up. 
This is the way to win God's mercy and his forgiveness. Our best efforts to do good fail miserably in comparison with God's righteousness. That's the standard that this guy has in mind. And he knows that somehow God can clothe us in his righteousness. So the psalmist has an attitude of repentance, of unworthiness. Even though from our viewpoint, we're not certain that he really has directly sinned against God and that brought on this problem. We do know that he's a sinner because we all are. And all this, the fact that he knows God as the Lord, the fact that he is saturated in God's word, the way that he prays, the appeal to the faithfulness and righteousness of God. All this makes it possible for the Lord to bring him out of the darkness of verse 3 and into the light of a new day. Verse 8, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. So beautiful. I love the verse um, from Psalm 90. This is um, echoing it. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. It's, it's wonderful, isn't it? When you, you know, I, I've had the experience of having loads of things clouding and crowding into me at nine, thinking, how am I going to cope with all this? I just cannot do it. It's impossible. Occasionally, I might just put the light on and write a list, and and it's massive and, and you know and then I put the light out and it crowds in again and I think I'm never going to get through all this it's just terrible tomorrow everything's going to crash and you get up in the morning and the sun's coming up or even if it's not it's a new day and those things somehow can fall away satisfy us early in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. So what does this mean while the psalmist is on earth? Well, it means that even if his outward circumstances don't change, and that's where he started with his complaint. His inner turmoil, his inner darkness, will be turned to light. And this will enable him to cope with whatever life is throwing at him with a clear conscience God's cleansed me. God's forgiven me. There's nothing between me and God separating us. He's given me his righteousness. It's okay. I'm okay with him. And so the inner turmoil is brought to an end. And you know, 
when the inner turmoil is brought to an end, it is possible to stand in the fiercest storm and know that you're okay. And it's a most wonderful, wonderful thing. And it's a God-given thing. So this links wonderfully with 1 John chapter 1. And I always say we should be reading the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ, through the lens of the revelation that comes to us through him. And we've been through 1 John recently. So I'm just going to read this again. Mark read and these verses from 1 John. So 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. It's just so beautiful and it just so links with this psalm. And you could think that John has that psalm in mind when he writes this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, We make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So let's note and take encouragement and comfort from this strong reminder that no matter what we have done, when we are in a mess, we can call on the Lord's faithfulness and righteousness. The Lord has no favourites, His love, his favour, his redemption are not dependent on who we are or what we have done. No. The Lord's love, redemption and favour are wholly dependent on who he is and what he has done. He wants us to be like him. He wants us to have his righteousness. We can't get that on our own it has to come from him so we appeal to his faithfulness to his righteousness for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him Our outward circumstances might not change. But the transformation that can take place within us through the gospel 
enables us to see and face those circumstances in a new light so that in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us.